Welcome to The Last Drinks Podcast. I'm your host, Will Hitchens. My guest today is a registered psychologist, completed his PhD at Griffith University, where he was awarded the overall winner of Griffith University's Most Outstanding First Nations Alumnus Award in 2018. He is the founder and director of Maromani Consultations, which focuses on culturally appropriate mental health services and research towards holistic well-being for members of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community. He and his wife, Lozen, are co-founders of Sober, a non-alcoholic craft beer company, brewed with Australian bush tucker, breaking down the stigma of socialising sober. From a place of sobriety comes the truly social drink. Please welcome to the podcast, Dr. Clinton Schultz, everybody. Thanks for having me along, Will. Thanks for joining us and providing us with... Uh, plenty of beers. Plenty of beers. It's a Friday afternoon. That's so. I can drink as many of these as I want and I'll drive home afterwards. <laughs> Particularly when I'm parked out the front of the cop shop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember I think this is the first ones that we, when Mitch and I sort of tested them out. And I think we got these ones and I think... I think it was like a lime one and we thought yeah these ones were pretty good yep. and yeah it's just like it tastes like a craft beer and it's not and it's like, oh it's non-alcoholic still yeah, <laughs> sure. yeah that was our this was our first beer we actually ever made mm-hmm. uh, the old lemon aspen pilsner hence why there's a number one on it um yeah we made that right back at the start in 2000 and oh, i would have started experimenting with it in 2016 mm-hmm. probably um basically because I was drinking a lot of other international non-elk pills at the time. And mm-hmm. so I just wanted to continue doing that. Yeah. And there was nothing nothing in Australia when we started doing what we were doing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was a good opportunity to start yeah. something new. Yeah. And we were, I'll, we'll get into sort of, I guess, sober um, in a moment. Uh, we'll sort of talk about yourself. Yeah. I mean, even sort of this little spiel of um, this little introduction I made up for you, What I, when I was, I guess, researching sort of to get sort of a bit of a, a bit of a blurb for, for Clinton was when I Googled your name, Ninja Warrior came up. Did you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Did that this year. Yeah. Uh, tore my bicep tendon oh, okay. on it, which was interesting. Uh, mm. Still ran, but it's a bit hard to do ninja with one arm. So yeah, it was I'd an imagine. interesting experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but still training, hoping to, you know, even if the show doesn't continue to run, um, it's, like a, it's like a whole international competition type mm. thing like proper professional sport that sits outside of the tv shows now mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of more interested in that so i had to pull out a world champs this year because mm. i um damaged this damn shoulder on the show so yeah rehab that for four months back into training now and mm. yeah hopefully head off to worlds next year now oh awesome so i guess we'll start as we always do uh we'll, we'll start with clinton and uh what's been your journey with alcohol so to speak. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So um, uh, I'm a Camilleray Glomeroy man myself. Um, I grew up in northern suburbs of Brisbane when I was younger. Um, quite low socioeconomic area. Uh, experienced a bunch of trauma when I was a kid. Kind of led me off rail mm. for a big part of my life. Mm. Sort of 15 to, I don't know, probably my second kid, honestly. Uh, so early 30s to sort of pull my head in. Mm. And, and I guess my way of dealing with all that trauma across that time was um drug and alcohol abuse Mm -hmm. also you know i've lived down here permanently on the coast pretty much since i was 16 so we all know what the coast life is like yeah unfortunately there's a real party mentality and Mm -hmm. i think that still sort of sticks around today and so just getting smashed from thursday afternoon till monday morning just 
was the norm for me. Mm. And to be honest, I was, you know, half that time I was at university. And so the norm at university is don't go to class, go to the uni bar. So <laughs> I, I did my entire undergrad and honours pretty much from the uni bar. And um, yeah, so many would say that I had a pretty entrenched drinking problem. Mm. I never saw myself as an alcoholic, but I was definitely a problematic um, binge drinker. Mm-hmm. And I definitely realised that post-drinking that I was using alcohol as a masking agent for all the shit that had happened in my life Mm. and so I guess getting to yeah sort of a point where you sort of realized okay I've got a I've got a problem I guess or it's it's affecting me more than it's I guess it's affecting me a lot more than it's probably in a negative sense and more so than getting the positives out of it so I guess when was there a moment to sort of okay maybe we need to sort of shift direction here yeah there was a couple of moments that sort of led to that real shift the first one was um we were actually on a bucks trip over to the very southern tip of the southern island of aotearoa in the middle of winter to go fucking surfing Mm. um so we're freezing cold and basically we're drinking whiskey to survive in in that cold but on one of them freezing nights when we were um all pretty pissed i remember very clearly one of my mates yarning to us about one of the things he most appreciated in his old man it was that he'd never seen him have a drink until he was 18 Mm. and i already had two boys by that age and i was like fuck my kids are never gonna have that Mm. opportunity like that that is nothing that is something they will never be able to sit back and reflect on Mm. and so i made a conscious decision from that while i was still on that trip that i wouldn't drink in front of my kids anymore Mm -hmm. so i came home and that was it. I stopped drinking in the house and um, we stopped having alcohol in the house, but it didn't really slow down my drinking. I was just going out more. Yeah, yeah. So, which was not so great for mm. being a, you know, a positive role model, being being a present father and mm. being a good husband. So uh, I then had to reflect on that and go, well, fuck, I'm not actually fixing, fixing a problem. Mm. I'm just making excuses. So yeah. The second thing that happened was... Um, my boy, who's now 14, when he was six, he came in on Christmas morning after I'd sort of fucked up on Christmas Eve and mm. scared the shit out of him, pretending to be a zombie walking around the house after a Bendron homemade rum with my cousin. <laughs> um, he just waved his little finger in my face and he's like, Dad, can you stop drinking silly drink? And I was like hung over as fuck and I've just sort of leant over the edge of the bed and just going, yeah, you've got me. I, I could see in his eyes he'd mm. had enough and he was only six. And... In that moment, I'd find I'd found a reason that was greater than my personal need mm. to escape, to to change my habits, and that mm. was the last time I ever drank. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, like your your six year old son sort of giving you the wake up call that you need, and yeah, putting sort of, I guess we've talked about yeah, like um, when you sort of quit drinking and sort of finding sort of what your priorities are, I guess, and. I mean, Mitch, my old co-host, would sort of say, well, it's like he sort of put like his health, uh, his work life and like his relationships. And I guess for yourself, family would be sort of one of your main priorities to sort of steer clear of that. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted my kids to have the opportunity to learn something different, particularly knowing they were growing up here on the Gold Coast. Mm. Um, I hadn't had that opportunity. Uh, I hadn't even, you know, thought of that as being an opportunity, to be honest. And I figured the only way they were going to get that is if I created it myself. Mm -hmm. So if I wanted to positively role model for them and and empower them with the the choice, you know, Mm. they're they're young men. As they grow up, they're going to make some fuckwit 
um, decisions and that's okay. <laughs> um, I've made plenty myself. Yeah. Um, but hopefully at least they'll have something else to base some mm. of those decisions on and they might just think fucking twice. And that's what's most important to me. So mm. yeah. yeah, like setting a good example for your kids and um, yeah, I mean, yeah, like you said, I mean, you got to sort of leave them to their own devices and, you know, they're try and sort of steer them away from sort of things, I guess, bad things, but you can, I guess, you only do so much. But um, especially, I guess, from my sort of, when I was, I mean, not because I haven't got sort of any kids, but I guess connection itself with people, when I was drinking heavily, it was very difficult to sort of have, really sort of connect with anyone. So did you, I guess if your priority was sort of getting going out and partying, was, uh, I guess, that affecting sort of your relationships with yeah, yeah. your wife and kids? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I'm, I'm extremely lucky that I have such an accepting wife. Mm. I don't think there's another woman on the planet that would have put up with my bullshit, to be honest. <laughs> um, as I said, I was absent for mm. fucking half the week each week. Yeah. I was out on the piss and run the muck with the boys. And, yeah. Um, you know, she never really complained about that. She just, I think, hoped that I'd fucking wake up to myself one day. Mm. And fortunately, I did. Um, otherwise, you know, I mightn't have them around now, or I mightn't be around now. So. Yeah, yeah, it's a good, it's a good sort of turnaround. And I guess because I think when I was reading up your, um, I guess about you, I guess they've they've seen stuff that like your background was being a chef. Yeah. And then you've, I guess, and then at some point you've decided. I'm going to study psychology. What was the inspiration for that? Man, chefing's no career path to be in if you want a healthy relationship and, <laughs> and stable family mm. life, you know? Like, there's probably no tox, no more toxic work environment, um, unfortunately, than, than hospitality, mm-hmm. and particularly chefing. I think chefs are under so much fucking pressure mm. and so receives so limited I guess regard or respect Mm. a lot of the time like I remember when I was chefing you know like the bar staff would be getting paid more than me particularly when they'd count their count their tips and shit Mm. at the end of the day and um, it was the chefs are the ones that were always getting screamed at if anything went under or if you know you're under the pump with 200 people sitting out there all Mm. at once waiting for food no one's screaming at the waiter or the waitress they're screaming at the chefs Mm. and carrying on so you're constantly under the pump and um, there's a bad drinking culture within the profession. Mm-hmm. Um, not just drinking, you know, like, fuck, I reckon I spent half the time that I was chefing off my face on fucking speed or mm. Coke or something else just yeah. to keep up, mm. just to go, go, go and to um, be able to put up with a lot of the bullshit, mm. I guess. So, um you know, I, I was chefing over in the UK for a couple of years and, and I mean, the culture's pretty bad over there as well, <laughs> um, the drinking and drug-taking culture. and But at least chefs got a little bit more respect over there mm-hmm. and you definitely got remunerated better yeah. than you do here in Australia. So when I came back to Australia, I decided I'm not working for the fucking smitten amounts of money that than it was anymore and I'm not copying all the bullshit and if that's what chefing's about then I don't really want to be a part of it but I'd also decided while I was over there that I wanted to do more for community Mm -hmm. I I was quite limited while I was chefing in terms of what I could figure out I could 
give back and do mm. with community. <clears throat> and so I basically rocked up at Griffith University and um, they pulled out, the, I went to the Aboriginal Support Centre and they pulled out this big book and said, what do you want to do? And I said, fuck, I don't know, I want to <laughs> do something with community. And they started writing down all these courses and um, basically I just, honestly, I closed my eyes and just went, I'll fucking do that. Mm. I, so I literally fell into psychology. Yeah. Um, Cause that's what I landed on. And mm. Yeah. So once I was in it, I thought, well, I better give this a crack and kind of been in that area ever since. Mm. And I guess, cause I guess, and then you sort of started your own sort of consultation sort of business. And I guess because being an indigenous Australian was your sort of particular focus in sort of helping sort of your communities there. Yeah. I've always wanted to help mob, but um, I've also worked most of the time that I've, I've been registered psych in sort of the space of drug and alcohol mm. um, rehab. And it was one of the other things that was really getting to me when I was drinking was I was working in the space of drug and alcohol oh, really? rehab and fucking getting shit faced from Thursday to Sunday. <laughs> I can't fucking stand hypocrites. And I was mm. probably the world's biggest hypocrite, you know, but I think I've always been able to have a great relationship with, you know, consumers, my clients, because they know I'm not coming at shit from a textbook, mm. right? I, I've, I've lived everything that they could possibly experience and, uh, and, and probably then some. And um, so they know that I'm, I'm coming at it from a real human to human sort of perspective and mm. not just there trying to talk about stuff that I learned out of a textbook in an overly priced institution. So mm. I, th I think that's been a benefit, but it wasn't helping me personally feel any better when I'd go home and my way of dealing with that was to fucking drink. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was just a toxic little circle that I was cycle that I was in, and um, very glad that I snapped out of it. Mm, yeah, because yeah, I've, I remember because like I went to rehab uh, when I was abusing, like like I couldn't stop drinking, and then I found sort of if the I guess the counselors or the people that were working in there, if they had sort of past experience with sort of drug and alcohol addiction, I remember there was a counselor in there who, yeah, I mean his. I think his sort of uh, drug, it was it was heroin and Jack Daniels for him. So, but certainly, yeah, relating to someone who's not just sort of read something in a book, or someone who's sort of been through it, was sort of there was more relatability there. Yeah, the sort of because because there's people like yeah, like I kind of been through what you've been through in some sort of form. Absolutely, I don't think there's any better professional experience than lived experience, mm. to be honest. And um, you know, you probably don't have to take it to the extremes that that I did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but having an understanding, like an actual lived experience understanding of what others may be going through, mm. I think helps to build connections and yeah. everything that we do within counselling, psychology, whatever, all those sort of spaces is is based on being able to build connections with other human beings. So. Mm. And then so when you quit sort of drinking and drugs and then so then pursuing your work in psychology, was there, was it a very, I guess the approach is different? How did it sort of shift from... Because I guess then now you have to sort of, I guess the stuff, the stresses that you were dealing with, you ways of dealing with before was with, with drinking, get rid of that. Yep. How do you sort of go yeah, about it now? My way of coping with shit these days is is exercise, to be honest. Mm. Like, um, I, yeah, I didn't get on Ninja Warrior by sitting on my ass, no. basically. You know, I trained my freaking ass off for years for that. And uh, I love exercising. Um, You know, I'm involved in a whole bunch of, stupid adventure sports that'll probably end up with me uh injured more than i should be <laughs> at my age um at some stage you know but 
yeah my nickname's literally the injured ninja because i'm always fucking injured from <laughs> doing stupid shit but um that's my way of just getting stuff out now mm-hmm. instead of cracking a alcoholic drink open i I'll go down and I'll smash myself in the gym for 20 minutes, half an hour, an hour, depending mm. on what I need to do to yeah. just know that I'm I'm set enough to then go and re-engage with whatever else has mm. got to go on in my day or in my life. Yeah, we find, I guess I've also found like, yeah, slogging it out in the gym, sort of putting yourself through that sort of discomfort, you feel sort of more fulfilled um, afterwards. It's just sort of, yeah, going through that sort of, discomfort of whether it's yeah just pumping out the gym or doing some sort of intense exercise i guess yeah depending on what your sort of capabilities is as as strength levels with your exercise capacity um you think that yeah like health and fitness is a good sort of deterrent away for people to steer away from sort of the drinking and partying i absolutely think it can be Mm. as long as you don't get consumed by the fakeness that can be mm. present within the the health and well-being space mm. particularly like somewhere here like on the gold coast you know mm. I'm, I'm always saying to people you know it's funny here on the gold coast everybody loves to look fucking fit and healthy but they don't like to live health yeah. as such so they're still partying up hard mm. as and not necessarily making the best life choices, mm. etc. but everybody wants to look fucking perfect yeah um, for the camera mm. type thing so i think that toxicity can be a bit of a trap mm. for people if they're not careful. Um, and I think for others that may have quite addictive personalities, you know, you've also got the problems that can come with excessive exercise mm. becoming problematic and impacting on other parts of your life and can also lead to, you know, other forms of substance abuse to mm. try and keep up with that, that experience of never feeling self-fulfilled or mm-hmm. fulfilled you know um most of the most of the people that end up having problems with things like um you know body enhancing drugs uh, are people who are still struggling with self-esteem mm. at the end of the day and, and bom- body image yeah issues so yeah that side of it i think we need to be wary of but um it definitely can be a real important part of of an overall healthy lifestyle mm. Because again, to the to the, the image thing. I mean, here you'll see you walk around here, and there's people in sports cars, people eating at nice restaurants, and it's sort of the image of all oh, these people of you know successful this glamorous lifestyle. When for all we know, they could be in debt severely and just you know spending money here and there when they don't have the money. But Absolutely. it's just to sort of up just upkeep this uh, sort of fake lifestyle. Um, it has bits and pieces of that, amongst other things. Yeah, here. probably no more pretentious place in Australia than here <laughs> on the Goldie, mate. So. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah. So then we've got. I guess we can get into sober now. So when did it sort of? All right. Well, you sort of kicked the can down the road with with your own sort of um, sobriety, and then when did the sort of thing? When did sort of non-alcoholic craft beer, I guess, sort of come a new sort of business venture? Yeah. So pretty soon after I stopped drinking I realised I fucking love beer and that there wasn't many decent choices available in Australia mm. um, we were the first to market in mm. terms of non-alcoholic craft beer so there were you know in the craft space there was fucking nothing mm. um, so I'd sort of started mucking around making beer for myself so yeah. this, this all came from my own needs uh, at the time we also had a 
small food truck that we were using to help out um, with some catering gigs with Preston Campbell Foundation. Mm-hmm. And then we were like, well, we've got this food truck here. We may as well be using it more regularly. So we started doing all native foods and Bush Tucker inspired foods out of this food truck. Um, and the beer just naturally seemed because it's non-alcoholic and you don't need a license it seemed like something pretty cool that we could sell out of the food truck Mm. and not have to worry about you know too many regulation issues and so that's what we did yeah and i was like well we've got this native foods that we're doing let's start infusing beers with native foods and i don't think you can get more fucking australian in terms of a beverage than what we're doing at the moment yeah absolutely Um, and after a while we had more people coming along to get beer than we did have coming along to get food and so that's when Fellows and I the cog started turning in terms of well maybe there's something in this maybe mm. maybe there is more crazy people out there like me that you know don't want to drink but actually enjoy the flavor mm. and the experience of of having a ice cold beer at the end of the day yeah I mean when I was when you were sort of saying like oh yeah and I started making the beer at home I was just imagining you and I don't know making it in a bathtub with like a big stick or something <laughs> nah not quite I used I did use uh you know normal home brew kits mm. i'm fortunate i guess you could call it fortunate you know i grew up home brewing with my granddad from mm-hmm. when i was about six years old you know he'd be making his dirty forex draft and <laughs> um out of the little tin thing and um yeah i'd make ginger beer mm. and um and from you know through that experience but also through being a chef the mm. whole process of it's no different to baking a cake at the mm. end of the day it's follow the recipe and follow the method and you're going to come out with a product so yeah. Um, I knew that that side of it wouldn't be a problem mm. for me and and having a good understanding of flavor mapping and, and food science, et cetera, from chefing, then I kind of knew what I could and couldn't pair up in terms of native foods and beer. And so it all sort of just fell together and, and grew from there. So yeah, it wasn't out of a out of a wheelie bin in the backyard. It was, <laughs> it was um, yeah, out of a homebrew kit to start with. Yeah. Oh, you know, we've got to be we've got to be sanit- <laughs> for sanitation purposes. We've got to be clean about this stuff. Um, and I guess you, you breathe it. I've t- drunk worse. <laughs> I probably have as far well. Less yeah. Sterile stuff in my time. Yeah, plenty of that. Um, so you're saying about because I guess I mean when I sort of started going back out, yeah, sober, and it was just like the options were just soda water and lime, basically. And <laughs> then um, for some people, yeah, like I guess for some people one of the ways to sort of navigate if they don't want to drink but they don't want to sort of draw attention you know you're just holding a drink and you know so you didn't have to sort of oh what are you drinking why aren't you drinking so certainly like non-alcoholic beer is is certainly a good alternative um because you just yeah you just sit there with a can and just or you're with, with a stubby and it's just it just looks like yep. you can look like that and um which is a funny thing but i guess uh, you mentioned sort of the I guess it's the different sort of regular. Is there sort of regulations like there is for alcohol? Because I mean, I mean, in this country, we get taxed through the roof for actual alcohol. Nah, there, there's no excise tax or anything on non-alcoholic beer at present or non-alcoholic adult beverages. Um, it's a bit of a grey area in terms of um, legislation at mm. present because Australia just wasn't prepared and hadn't thought about the possibility mm. of non-alcoholic adult beverages being a thing. To be honest, we still get classified as soft drinks cordials and fucking juice or something same legislation piece as Mm. that um but i think some changes will start to come Mm -hmm. um as the market continues to grow Mm. um you know we've seen through some of the 
things that happened with kombucha when it was sort of in its peak and there was a lot of little small craft things going mm. on that um, a lot of that was getting picked up as above non-alk levels. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I think authorities started looking at, okay, what might we have to change within legislation to mm. ensure that what is being advertised as non-alk is non-alk. Uh, on a piece of paper, you know, it's anything below 0.5% is non-alk. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you've got this gray area between 0.5 and 1.15 mm-hmm. that is considered low alk. Yeah. Um, so you know you can't it's it can't claim to be non-alcoholic, mm. but it's still not regulated in yeah. terms of there's no tax or anything on it. Mm. So it's kind of just sits in this space of what the fuck do we do with this? Yeah. So I think that's the space that'll get tightened up first because mm-hmm. there's not much problems with anything below 0.5. If it's mm. below 0.5, you know, I could fucking skull a carton of these and I'm going to blow, I'm going to piss a lot mm. <laughs> before I get pissed yeah. and, and I'm going to blow 0.0 in a yeah. bag. Um, whereas if you start getting up around that one level, you, you're going to start registering and it's going to start, your body's not going to be able to process it mm-hmm. as quick as you're consuming if you're just sculling them down. So I think that's the area that is most likely to get tightened first. Mm. And is the process of making it, I guess, instead of making like an alcoholic craft beer, like my my picture is just like, all right, we, we've made it in the bathtub and then there's just a bottle of alcohol <laughs> and we top tip it in. Like that's, <laughs> I'm sure there's a, a, it's a bit more sort of technical than that. Um, yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> it's, probably, it's probably more difficult to make good non-alcoholic craft beer than it is to make regular beer. Mm-hmm because you don't have alcohol there to mask fuck-ups mm-hmm. in, in the flavour of the beer as such. Mm-hmm. Um, so regular beers, you know, you've got that 4.5, fuck, some of them out to 8%, whatever, mm-hmm. of, of alcohol there. That kind of gives you that background taste that sometimes some of the, the off flavours of the beer people will take as being just the alcohol. Mm. You take that out of the way and you've got to be fucking bang on what you're actually mm. doing because people will pick up straight away. You've got to use more ingredients mm. um, to get the same flavor profiles um, a lot of the time in non-alc beers, uh, which is difficult when you can't have too much excess sugar mm. when you're still working with yeast. So yep. yeast just goes to town on the sugar and you can end up with alcohol. So it is there's a fair bit of science involved in it um, to get really good quality non-alc beers. Um, some of the big companies, you know, they just make their normal beers and then they extract the alcohol. Mm-hmm. But they extract half the fucking flavour as mm. well <laughs> in yeah. doing that. And you can taste it. Mm. So you can really taste the difference between non-alc beers that are being properly fermented as non-alc beers mm. and beers that have been made as beers and then being further processed mm. to remove the alcohol. Um, and that's we're on the side of fully fermenting you know mm. we just use particular strains of yeast that don't consume maltose so that for don't pres- don't produce high levels of alcohol yeah and how have you found sort of the growth of sort of non-alcoholic beverages since starting this because you said that sober was sort of at the forefront of this yeah. um yep um when we started there was no fucking acceptance for it mm. even in the industry to be honest like a lot of the companies that are now making non-out beers you know they they weren't exactly supportive of what we were doing mm. when we started. Like I, um, I had a yarn at a beer conference back in the earlier days, and um, 
you know, there were several people there that literally were laughing at what we were mm. doing and, and told me post that it would never be a thing and it would never work. Um, and now it's, you know, it's the fastest growing market in the adult beverage industry. Mm. So, you know, we're kind of laughing at them now. Yeah. But with that, you know, there's in the last two years, after we've spent the first sort of three or four years of of trying to grow this space in Australia through a whole bunch of re-education for people and, and, and making great products that help people to, to believe that non-alp can actually be good. Mm. Um, now we've got a whole bunch of people that are just jumping on the bandwagon and not all necessarily producing great beers, which mm. I think is where problems may start coming for yeah. us as a sector is that if people start having shit experiences with one or two non-alks, they're going to blame the whole sector again. Yeah. Of, oh, I tried non-alk, it was fucking shit. <laughs> and, and I think, um, you know, the, the quality of some of the majors will add to that because mm. they're not fucking great. Mm. Um, and if that's the only experience people are getting, like if I go to it, I've just spent 16 days out on the road. I did like seven and a half thousand Ks on the Harley all through central Queensland, Northern Territory, South Australia and New South Wales. Oh, and, wow. and, um, every pub that I went into on that trip, you know, to get a pub meal and that would, I could get a non-elk now, mm. but it'd be one of the majors. Yeah. And it's fucking shit. Yeah, yeah. And there's no availability out in those areas to quality craft. Mm. So if people's experience, first experience is those shit non-elks, I think that may deter them from mm. from the sector. So that's that's what I see as the biggest problem moving forward. Yeah, because I guess yeah, it would be less access in sort of what regional areas yeah. as opposed to sort of, I guess, bigger cities like where we live here. Because I'd imagine like re- country town pubs is just, it's what, two is new, 4X got <laughs> VB. That, that's about it. Pretty um, much. Depending on what state you're in, yeah. depends on what beer's all over the bar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's me- you mentioned, it, I guess, I mean, we've got sort of a box of them over here. Um, how many just professionalism here but yeah we'll just plonk plonk them up here so is this a like how many sort of beers have we actually got i think in this box we've probably got five Mm. but all up i think we've done shit maybe 10 or 11 beers now Mm -hmm. um we've got a couple little secret squirrel ones that are about to be released oh yeah um uh we just recently did um a collab with the good beer co and Mm -hmm produced a beer a tropical um, lager to basically raise money for the coral reef foundation so mm-hmm. we've done it two social enterprises coming together and you know bringing all our networks together and our knowledge together to, to produce something really cool that's gonna um, assist a, a really worthy organization so that's been awesome to be a part of and that's just about to be released so i'm allowed to talk about that one um, <laughs> but there's another couple that uh that are about to come out that i'm probably shouldn't talk about so all up i think we're at 11 now um which is the by far the biggest variety of non-help beers being produced by anybody in australia and Mm. you know that's what we want to continue to do we we, we've we've been first at everything you know we're first nations owned and managed we're first to market with non-out craft beer we're mm. gonna have the first all-purpose non-out brewery built here at burley heads mm-hmm. um, we should have it already but because of all this beautiful rain that we get on the gold coast <laughs> um the project's about nine months behind the oh, schedule okay. <laughs> uh, but definitely by easter next year that'll be up and, and running and 
So we just want to continue that first and we want to keep pushing the boundaries in terms of what premium adult non-out beverages can actually be. Because mm. I guess, you know, so you got 11. So how do you sort of come up with the process of, all right, well, I want one there. So I've got this one here is the lemon, aspen, pilsner. you got the finger lime, cerveza. Do you just sort of get a taste of something one day and just like, oh, we'll put that in? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, you know, that's, uh, I'm fortunate I've got that chefing background where mm. flavor profiling and flavor mapping is is very natural for me. So um, the first three really happened quickly because it was all based on beer profiles that I already knew and native ingredients that I knew would pair against those, like the finger lime cerveza. Like it's just a take on a on a popular cerveza that everybody particularly on the gold coast drinks with some lime in it you know um, we won't mention who but no, no. <laughs> leave it up to you yeah fuck you it. guess give, they don't need any extra advertising no so. open to interpretation <laughs> <laughs> um and yeah that's kind of been the process and then a couple more of them like the more of the later ones like the davidson plum gluten free and the aniseed myrtle stout you know they've more been little fun experimental things mm. that i've done in the background yeah um, and just thought oh yeah i you know, I love this and I think that'd match. And mm. then it's a go into a little process of, of trial and error until until we get it right. Yeah. So it sounds like you got some sort of creative passion with sort of brewing non-alcoholic oh, beer. That's the side of it I love. I've got, yeah. <laughs> I've got no interest. I probably shouldn't say this, but I've got no fucking interest in the business side. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my, my amazing wife keeps us on track on that side because, mm. um, you know, I... I just, I just want to make fucking good beer mm. and, um, and get out and yarn about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's good to have sort of teamwork in business. That yeah, you can yeah. you can focus on my real my real place in the business as we continue to grow. You know, I'll always be involved in the in the research and development of, of new products. But we've got a head brewer now, and he'll take some of the lead on that. And mm. so I've got to even do less in that area now. But the 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 charity and philanthropic side of, of what we set the whole business up for in the first place is where my heart really lies. Mm-hmm. And um, as we continue to grow, I'll be able to do more in that space. Mm. Yeah, so I guess, yeah, I think it's it's, it's written on the website. It's a purpose-driven uh, business. And there's, I think it's mentioned the Sober Initiative. So is it sort of, yeah, sort of work and sort of phil- philanthropic? Did I get that right? Yeah. Practice my English, <laughs> sort of in the yeah, the charitable space. Um, uh, you could go to sort of go into sort of what the sober initiative is. Yeah, we just want to be able to support grassroots initiatives that are working in the space of wellness for people and place. Mm. In a nutshell. Yeah. Um, you know, I've always been frustrated as a psychologist that a lot of the programs that get a shit ton of fucking funding actually aren't very well suited for a whole bunch of people in our population and it's really difficult for some of those real small grassroots initiatives that you can see are doing deadly work and getting great results in their own communities or in their own geographical areas just don't get the support they need to to have continuation of service and that's always as i said frustrated the shit out of me so Mm. You know, I thought this was a good opportunity for us to be able to play into that space and mm. create some of our own independent funding to be able to support some of those initiatives. Mm. And then that sort of just naturally grew out into the space of, I guess, sustainability and environmental well-being as well. Mm. Um, 
because as Gomeroy, you know, at, at a center at the center of everything that we sort of believe in is wellness of other connected to people to you know wellness of self connected to other in place across time so mm. if we can take that and put that in place in terms of a business model it's pretty fucking deadly yeah <laughs> yeah because i guess there's a lot of sort of practices in our sort of society today that have just they've, it's just always been done that way and yeah there's no sort of room like consideration or maybe maybe it's not the right way to sort of go about it maybe there's there's alternative ways that could be better and more beneficial than just yeah. absolutely you know just general capitalism and consumerism has led to fucking 95 plus percent damage that we've got mm. on this planet um whereas there's opportunity for to use those mechanisms to to start turning things around mm. but you've got to be willing to sacrifice a little bit and that's mm. profit yeah you know i've got absolutely no fucking interest in sitting back fat and wealthy myself mm -hmm. when there's a whole bunch of people and the fucking planet under my feet suffering mm. just doesn't make sense to me yeah. uh, as a Gomorrah man so um, I sure as hell wasn't going to be a part of that while we were growing this business so mm -hmm. that's why we've always from day dot been you know purpose driven mm. um, rather than just using purpose as a fucking catchphrase to to sell more products you mm. know? like it's it's really what we're for me, we're a we're a we're a wellness business, mm. wellness of people and place business that just fucking happens to sell beer as our commodity. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that's the way I've always seen it. Yeah. And again, you know, to a lot of business people, that mightn't make a lot of sense. But mm. I think being true to to who we are as a business and really being unforgiving and unrelenting in that mm. has been one of the things that has drawn people to us as a brand. Yeah. And yeah, therefore allows us to, to get on and do some of the work that we do. Mm. So what's on, the, what's on the cards in the future? I guess you've sort of mentioned building sort of the brewery when it's not raining and then... Yeah, that's that's the big project at mm -hmm. the moment, getting this goddamn brewery open. Yeah. Um, so would it be something similar like we've got sort of like Black Hops here, you've got um, Bolter down in Corumban. Yeah, um, so, we're, you know, it'll be on... In terms of size, it's probably parallel to the original Black Ops mm -hmm. um, facility, and uh, but we'll also have a Native Foods Cafe mm -hmm. in there, so we'll continue to champion uh, Native Foods from all around Australia. Um, the whole thing's going to run as a sort of training and employment space for those that you know generally struggle to get training mm -hmm. and employment opportunities, uh, which will will work really closely again with the Preston Campbell Foundation mm -hmm. to to implement that part of it. Um, we want to champion as many First Nations products and artisans and etc. Mm. in the building as possible. So we want to, anything that we're using, we want to be able to sell it to people as well so they can take it away and be reminded of those, all the fucking deadly companies, First Nations companies we've got in this country that, mm. um, you know, can always do with extra support. Absolutely. Uh, well, thank you for your time, Clinton. It's no been an absolute well. pleasure. We've got plenty of sort of products here of sober. <laughs> There's plenty to sort of choose from. We'll, we'll probably get stuck into this after we wrap up here. But we always wrap up with, um, do you have any funny stories or embarrassing tales of yourself uh, when you were a drinking man? <laughs> Mate, I've got endless <laughs> stories of, of me and my drinking days. Mm -hmm. um, some that probably aren't... Uh, fit for fucking radio mm. or for podcasts or oh we get pretty else. graphic on here anyway um, so there's been some there's been some classic tales probably probably one of the funniest ones was you know i had a bender one night and um it was only about two 
nights actually when I think about it. Only about two nights after I'd been on a bender with my brother um, and he ended up lost out on on Nobby's Hill somewhere and I think his clothes got even more lost than he did. Mm. Um, I'd come home and I was absolutely fucking wasted and I'd gone to bed and my wife's woke me up and she's like, because it was probably already seven in the morning she's like where the fuck you been and blah 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 I'm like oh I've just been out and she's like where are your clothes <laughs> I'm like I don't, I don't fucking know <laughs> she's like what do you mean you don't know where your clothes are and I'm like I don't fucking know where my clothes are like <laughs> you asked me a question I've just answered the question I don't know where my fucking clothes are and so she was starting to get a little pissed off thinking what the fuck has he done mm. to come home nude and um, then I, I, I was looking for my phone and my wallet after I got up. And I couldn't find them anywhere. Mm. And I thought, oh, fuck this. I was that hungover. I thought, oh, fuck this. I need to go for a swim. So I went outside and I went to um, jump in the pool. And I've jumped in the pool and then I've looked across. And there's half my shit in the bottom of the pool. And half of it sort of strung along where the pool yard uh. was. And it turned out that. I'd come home and I was that fucking maggot. Some of the boys had told me later that I was that maggot that I'd come home and there was something that was floating in the pool that I wanted and I've reached over to grab it mm. and I've just fucking fallen completely in the pool, <laughs> clothes and all, and just gone, oh, fuck this, and stripped off and just left all my shit there yeah. and wandered up through the apartment building and up to my room, starkers, and, and jumped into bed half wet. So, <laughs> um yeah, that was a interesting night. That was, you know, honestly, that was probably only maybe a year or so before I stopped drinking. Yeah, so I wasn't a teenager when this shit happened. No. Um, yeah. Yeah, the alcohol can make us do funny things. Um, <laughs> certainly not stuff that we'd ever sort of ever co- contemplate sort of sober. It's just something oh, I've switches off. Ridiculous things. Like yeah. I remember once on the wet the head for my first boy. I tried to do like a. You know, a reversey, so a run forward and do a backflip through a fucking real estate sign. <laughs> I thought it'd be soft and it'd be like something on TV, and I'd just run up and gone, wee, and gone, and it was fucking hard, and I've just hit it and followed straight on my head. And, um, you know, creaked my neck, and <laughs> ended up in the hospital a few times from just dumb shit that I've done. So, well, it was the injured ninja in full force. It sounds like. Oh, yeah. For sure, but yeah, as I said, you know, if I hadn't stopped drinking, who knows? I, I may not have been here because I, mm. I really didn't have a control button. Mm. Well, yeah, thank you again for your time, Clinton. Um, does I guess do you have any sort of message to leave our sort of viewers about? You know, we got people who listen who sort of I guess are on the fence with sort of drinking. They're trying to sort of perhaps consider a change. And um, if you have any sort of advice or guidance for some of them to share right now. Yeah, for sure. My number one piece of advice always is find your why. Mm-hmm. As I said, I, I didn't manage to stop until I found my why. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that for me happened to be my kids. Mm. Uh, it'll be different for everybody else, but I think you need to find a, a, a why that exists beyond just yourself. Mm. Um, and that gives you more motivation to actually put the hard yards in. Mm. Um, and secondly, don't think that you can just dump all your negative coping strategies without putting some positive shit in place first. Mm. You know, often we have everybody around us saying, oh, you'd be great if you just fucking stop drinking or you stop taking drugs or you stop smoking or whatever the fuck it is, but nobody's ever offering, offering support or advice or the opportunity for the resources for 
positive coping strategies. Mm. And I think it's a lot easier when you start to implement those so you can phase out some of the negative ones. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Awesome. That was good stuff. Well, this has been the Last Strings Podcast. I'm Will Hitchens, and we'll see you in the next one. Too deadly. You. <laughs>